0: The following audio is from our Advent Sermon Series. For more information about Harvest City Church, please visit our website at harvest.city. Well, hey, y'all. My name is Scott, and uh, I'm a pastor here at Harvest City, and I'm hoping to be one of the pastors uh, soon as we desire to see Uh, multi-ethnic church come out of this gathering uh, and we are hoping at least that one of the aspects that would help us to bring that about is to have a multi-ethnic leadership team Uh, but can I just say this uh, before I get into the word this morning uh, it is a delight to be part of such a generous church Y'all, uh, I don't know if you saw the video on Slack. If you're not on Slack, you for sure didn't see that yet. Uh, but uh, this, I was I think it was just this last Monday, uh, I recounted that this year in our Thanksgiving offering, Uh, we hit an all-time high, we've never uh, had this much money given, there was almost $13,500 given to be a part of restoring our community, and the work that God's doing there, and uh, I think that that deserves like some, a little bit of praise, the Lord has been good to us, and y'all have been really generous conduits, right, blessed to be a blessing, right, let's go back, uh, let's fall, conduits that God's blessings flow through us, to the people around us, and so just to get to like, let you step into that a little bit because uh, I get to be the one that kind of makes it rain in these circumstances, relationally, a little bit through your generosity. Already last Saturday, right, some of the people in our group uh, were at Houses into Homes, and I got to give a check to Selena, who happens to be my neighbor. She lives three houses down from me, but she's one of the two women that helps start Houses into Homes. And that check, I know, made steps uh, forward relationally that that I'm excited about being a part of the walking out of that uh, in this next season already then she was like talking to me about that and I told her that one of the other things uh, that we get to give a check to from our uh, offering our Thanksgiving offering was this new scholarship this Harvest City Fly the W scholarship that's going to go to a young man uh, who's been in all four years on the West High track team uh, who uh, has a greater need and, and wouldn't be able to go to college otherwise without some help and uh, and she was like really like because TJ Craig he he has been so good to us and so you guys if you were here maybe you got to Meet TJ uh, in November. He was here and shared with us about that relationship. He lives on our street also, but man, she just raved about him. And so this week, I'll get to give uh, Coach Craig, uh, my neighbor, right, like good friend, I'll get to give him an even bigger check. And uh, our family is taking bets on. I'm pretty sure there's going to be tears because uh, the outpouring of generosity uh, there is going to come really close to like endowing that scholarship, so it'll go on like forever, uh, which is super fun and then uh, hopefully this week, uh, uh, we've got some big things going on in our family, but hopefully this week I'll be able to give a check uh, to uh, Doug Fern and the folks at Faith Academy as well, and it's so cool because we've given to Faith Academy each year uh, from our Thanksgiving offering, and this year is by far the biggest check that I'll be able to hand them to be a part of what God's doing through Christian education uh, in our community, and specifically uh, with some of those Uh, folks that uh, have a greater need in our community and so man it's just it's a blessing it's huge to be a part of such a generous church uh, of people that uh, give above and beyond uh, to see our city become more like it would be as Jesus rules and reigns here so thanks for that opportunity thanks for making it so that I get to be a part of that Um, really appreciate that so uh, we are going to jump into the Word of God, and uh, we're in a series where we're talking about uh, Advent hymns is what we're calling them, Christmas carols, you might call them. Uh, and so far, right, we've talked about O Come All You Faithful, and then last week my man uh, Dominique Lee was in with us, and Dom uh, was talking about Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and our, our joy and our delight is to take these songs that we sing that have come, become so familiar to us, and to connect them back to the story of stories, to connect them back to Scripture and back to the Christ that they're about, so that as we sing these songs in this season and the seasons to come, that we would sing them more in line with God's heart uh, in the the Advent season. So uh, I'm excited this morning to look at a hymn that focuses on one specific hope of Advent, and that's the hope of Emmanuel, God, God. With us. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's probably the oldest Christmas carol still sung today. This popular hymn, you might not know, but it dates back to the 9th century, and it represents an important and ancient series of services celebrated by the Catholic Church. So I'm about to get real traditional and real into history with y'all for a moment here, okay? This hymn, originally in Latin, takes us back over 1,200 years to monastic life in the 8th to the 9th century. Seven days before Christmas Eve, monasteries would sing the O Antiphons, In anticipation of Christmas Eve, when the eighth antiphon, O Virgo Virgunum, uh, or in English, O Virgin of Virgins, would be sung before and after Mary's canticle, the Magnificat, that is in Luke 1.46-55. So this, uh, the Latin form of this hymn was composed as easy, early as the 12th century. Uh, Jason Mason Neal, the famous architect of the Oxford movement, discovered the Latin hymn in the appendix of an early 18th century manuscript. Uh, and then Neal, a translator of early Greek and Latin hymns, included it in his influential con- collection, Medieval Hymns and Sequences. That's how we have it kind of today. British hymnologist J.R. Watson provides a context for the antiphons included in the second page after the hymnal and United Methodist hymnal. Uh, And and so this is where I want to get really down into the nitty-gritty of tradition because it's going to like show you something that I think is really beautiful, okay? These O antiphons, or they were sometimes called the great O's, were designated in these monasteries and then in Catholic tradition to concentrate the minds of people in Advent on the coming Christmas, on enriching the meaning of the incarnation with a complex series of references from the Old and New Testaments. So some of these antiphons, as played out in the Methodist hymnal, are like this, okay? One of them uses the word sapentia, which is wisdom. Another uses the word adonai, uh, which is the Hebrew word for God. Another one, radix jesse, which is like the root of jesse, which we see in English. Or clavis david, the key of David. Or Oriens, which is dayspring. You're going to sing, we're going to sing that today, the dayspring, right? Come, oh, dayspring, come, on. Uh, anyway, you'll get there. Uh, and rex uh, gen, gen, don't, it's, i got to say this right because this is going to come out wrong Genetium, okay um, uh, or that means the king of Gentiles okay and then oh Emmanuel, and then uh, that uh, Virgo one, okay. And so uh, what you get if you put the first seven, which is are sung before Christmas Eve, uh, if you put the first letter of, of those words uh, of each antiphon together, they spell S A R C O R E. And it's like, well, that's not very sarcore. I'm like, that's not very significant. But then if you this is what this is what you have to do, right? You have to like take this puzzle and take it apart, okay. But if you read it backwards the letters formed a two-word acrostic, arrow cross, meaning I will be present tomorrow. And so these O antiphons, which O come, O come, Emmanuel is a part of, lead all the way up to Christmas Eve. And it's like this puzzle being put together historically and, and sung in these uh, monasteries and in Catholic churches. And so that when you are able to put the whole puzzle together on Christmas Eve, it just speaks to you. I will be with you tomorrow. I'll be present Tomorrow, you see, O oh, Emmanuel, that last, that seventh antiphon was traditionally sung on the night before Christmas Eve, revealing the meaning of the liturgical riddle through the completion of the acrostic. And so, by singing "O come, O come, Emmanuel," with the antiphons in, in, interspersed, Christians today get to participate in a sacred Advent ritual at least eleven centuries old. So this morning, I think God wants each one of us to hear that we can have high hopes this Advent because of the power and the presence of Emmanuel. My sermon title this morning is simply, Emmanuel, God with us and so with that we will enter into his word together i'm going to be in matthew chapter one i'm going to read verses 18 to 25 if you want to pull out the bible underneath your chair uh, and follow along with me that'd be great uh here at harvest city we believe that the bible is um is god's god's word it's it's breathed out by him And it's valuable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what the Bible says about itself. Uh, We believe that wholeheartedly, and we take very seriously uh, the reading of Scripture together. If you don't have a Bible, uh, man, we would encourage you to take one of those ones under your chair, take it home, put it to work, because we think God wants to use it in each one of our lives to make us more like His Son, Jesus. Well, here we go. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 is where I'll start. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It's like got our ears, right? When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Harvest City, we have high hopes this Advent because of the power and the presence of Emmanuel. As we look at this hymn and this passage, I want us to see the promise of God with us, the fulfillment of the promise, God with us. And I want us to really think about how this applies to our lives in the power and the presence of God with us. Will you all pray with me? God, as we enter into your word today, uh, we know that we can't even see and understand it rightly apart from the work of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask, God, that you would be the backlight to Scripture, that you would help us to see, help us to understand spiritual truths, and that you would use those truths to form us more into the image of your Son, Jesus, and that you would be the power living inside of us to empower us to live it out in our daily lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all, we're starting with the promise, the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know about y'all, but uh, Matthew chops up uh, the story of Jesus' birth just a little bit different, right, than what uh, uh, what we're usually used to in Luke's gospel. In my family, uh, I grew up and my grandpa would read from Luke chapter 2 every year on Christmas. Anybody, like, have traditions like that where, like, the Christmas story would be read in your house or whatever? I don't know why, but we never read Matthew, Wow, we didn't have Nothing from Mark, right? Mark doesn't really touch on it a ton. It's pretty fast. Everything happens immediately in Mark's gospel, right? Uh, and then uh, in John, you're just talking about the incarnation, but it's not about a baby in a manger, so it's not as cute. So you don't read that on Christmas morning either. For whatever reason, it was always Luke chapter 2. So for those of you that are used to Luke chapter 2, this is going to come a bit different this morning. But one of the things you might notice is that Matthew's gospel tells this story of Jesus' birth from the standpoint of, of Joseph rather than Mary, okay? See, Luke's gospel is like all about uh, Mary's perspective, the angel, an angel meets with Mary and then you get to hear it from her perspective. But Matthew's account emphasizes a few things we just cannot miss this morning, okay? He emphasizes the place of Joseph in this story. He emphasizes the importance Of divine guidance given in dreams, dude has a dream, hears from angels, and then he goes and obeys. It's a pretty big obedience right there, okay? And then he repeatedly, Matthew repeatedly references the fulfillment of prophecy. That's what we're going to focus in on first this morning. Matthew is very interested in the way the ancient prophecies found their fulfillment in Jesus. And it's this emphasis that we're going to focus in on this morning. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 this morning with me. It's really point blank. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Matthew has what commentators call a fulfillment formula, right? Throughout his firsthand eyewitness account, he often points to the events in Jesus' life or the teachings of Jesus that fulfill Old Testament prophecy. In this case, Matthew points to the birth of Jesus and the way that it took place as fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah that was written hundreds of years before Mary or Joseph stepped on this earth. And this is what that prophecy says. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's think about this from the Israelites' perspective a bit this morning, okay? The creation story is a big part of the story for the nation of Israel. It's a big part of their history. They were aware of God creating the world and putting his good stamp on everything. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good, right? And in that day, he was truly God with Adam and Eve, right? He's just kicking it, walking with them, walking with them and talking with them in the garden. That's what it was like, God with us in the garden. But they were also keenly aware that in that same garden is where they ate the wrong fruit and the fall of man happened in that garden. They knew the story of Adam and Eve and sin coming into the world and separation then being created between God and man as Adam and Eve had to exit the garden. And they knew the years and years that ensued after the fall when God would avail himself to the priests and to mediators in the tabernacle or in the Holy of Holies. They would have God with us, but it was different. God with us was different. But God with us in the form of a baby born from a virgin, I don't think this was probably what was right on the tip of the minds of most Israelites when they're reading this Old Testament prophet. You see, in the Old Testament, the name Emmanuel was given to a child born in the time of Ahaz as a sign to the king that Judah would receive relief from Syrian attacks. The name Emmanuel symbolized the fact that God would demonstrate his presence with his people by delivering them. But Matthew is telling us that this prophecy wasn't just for Ahaz in his time, but this prophecy also foretold the birth of the incarnate God, Jesus, the Messiah. In order to get that, I want to use like a lighthearted illustration, okay? Uh, Have you ever received a compliment that was maybe not meant for you? Uh, or, or maybe you received a compliment that very well could have been meant for you, uh, and like, uh, you know, in passing, like it's even true about you, but there's like somebody behind you that that compliment was like aimed at, and, and like its ultimate fulfillment was like found in that person, right? So picture this with me, picture, uh, I do a lot of weddings, okay, weddings like the, one of my favorite parts of my job okay so love me some weddings but say you're at a wedding and uh you're like watching conversation happen and and somebody walks in and the first thing they see is the bride right and they're like oh man they walk into the room and it's before the wedding happens so they can speak to her and they're like man you look so beautiful today but they don't use her name so they're just like man you look so beautiful And what they don't realize is that much closer to them uh, uh, on this side of the bride was like the personal attendant that they're also friends with. And she looks pretty beautiful today. And she says, oh, thanks. You see, like, uh, what was true there is that like, yeah, she looked beautiful too, right? But that compliment for sure found its ultimate fulfillment in the bride that day at the wedding, right? You see, on a, much higher and holier way uh this uh this this plan here this this prophecy laid out was for sure for ahaz but it finds its ultimate fulfillment in the birth of jesus you see and in a much higher and holier way advent reminds us that we're not the center of god's plan Advent is an opportunity to refresh our perspective that God has a grand plan for history that's so much bigger than just you and your friends and your family. Think about the narrow perspective that so many of us have at Christmas, right? That culture tells us that there's a a fat man in a red coat that like flies in some uh, sleigh and, and the reindeer fly him up there and then he comes down your chimney and he has gifts for you. And that like it's... Your stocking that you're going to open up the next day. And oftentimes, right, culture tells us that Christmas is about you and the gifts that you get to unwrap. We don't wake up on Christmas morning thinking about all the people around the world that God came to give the gift of God with us. So in the midst of a season that might shrink our gaze, Advent reminds us to pan the camera back out as this personal attendant could have done, right? If she could step outside of the room and see the scope of what's happening, she wouldn't have stepped into that really at all, even though it was true for her. She'd have been like, wow, yeah, everybody that comes in the room should be telling the bride today how beautiful she is. In the same way, we need to step back and see the grander scale of what's going on here this advent advent doesn't just remind us that we're not the center of god's plan advent also reminds us of generations of saints longing and pining for the messiah y'all think about this with me not long ago it was like a luxury to have amazon prime and get like two-day shipping right Now you can like click that button and they're like, yeah, I'll show up in four hours if you want. You know, like you tell me where you want to put it and we'll put it there at your house too. Like I don't know if we even have a category, if modern people even have a category for the kind of longing and pining and waiting that generations of saints have been going through. You see, Advent gives us an opportunity to imagine Our imaginations are so important. This is like being awakened for me in this whole, uh, in Porterbrook, I'm reading this whole thing about imagination right now. But anyway, uh, Advent gives us an opportunity to imagine the long-awaited coming of the Messiah, who was promised thousands of years before his arrival in Bethlehem. Generations of saints had promises from God in Scripture that caused them to yearn and pine for the much-anticipated Messiah. Harvest City, the truth is our God is a promise-making God. And that means that we are to be a promise-claiming people. As we sing Advent hymns this year, I wonder if God might desire to tune our hearts, not just to His grace, but also to tune our hearts to His promises to begin to claim them. I wonder if God wants us to use these beautiful Advent hymns to remind us of his purpose and his plan and his promises for us and for the world around us so that we might realize how tiny our little, yes, selfish, small kingdom of us plans are and to begin to patiently claim his promises the way that the generations of his people have done for so long. Church, our God is a promise-making God, and that makes us a promise-claiming people. Keep in mind that more than 700 years passed between Isaiah's prophecy and the birth of Jesus. And in this gospel, right, Matthew cites Isaiah seven fourteen as being fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. You see, at the time of Jesus' birth, The nation of Israel had never known a worse time, okay? Its leaders were guests of a foreign power, and its people, all but those needed to work the land and pay the tributes, had been exiled from their homeland, scattered as slaves throughout the Babylonian Empire. Think about what a fall it must have been for a people who thought themselves the favorites of the one true God. Under David, a God-fearing king, Israel had been the local superpower, and now their nation barely existed. Where had it all gone wrong? Well, the Old Testament prophets weren't slow in telling them, right? They'd been proud, neglecting their Lord and worshiping other gods. He had turned away from them. But think about this, the fulfillment of the promise God with us, right? O come, O come, Emmanuel, is sung from the point of view of exiles, longing for God to be with them again. Even in the depths of his disappointment with the Israelites, God sent word through his prophets that better times were to come. A savior, the rod of Jesse, in other words, a descendant of King David, would come to set them free. The mournful longing in O come, O come, Emmanuel doubtless arises from the absolute assurance that their people would need to be redeemed. But not quickly. There is a lesson to be learned first. Even today, the faithful can fall, wrong turns can be taken, and it might seem as if God has looked away in annoyance. But the wonder of his love means he will always be God with us. So let's look together at how this longing and the words of God through his prophets were fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. I'm going to read it again, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Listen up, he says. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, dissolved, resolved to divorce her quietly. Think about this, okay? If, she, if this baby wasn't from the Holy Spirit, that means it was an, an adulterous thing going on, and like she would have been stoned if this would have become a public thing, okay? So he is doing uh, her a favor because he loves her so much, uh, and he's trying to resolve this quietly. But as he considered these things, isn't it awesome? God knows the minds of his people. As he considers these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. I love this, like the parenthetical references throughout the gospels, right? John does it so well. He gives you these author notes. Just in case you didn't know, Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Harvard City, Jesus' birth showed all humanity that God is faithful to fulfill his promises in ways far beyond human expectations. Ain't nobody considering the fact that God could make a baby with just a woman. That you didn't need a man, you could do it with the Holy Spirit and this woman. God fulfills his promises in ways far beyond human expectations. Jesus was not just a sign of God with us. Jesus was, in fact, God in the flesh, the incarnate God, God with us in person. Not only that, Matthew's gospel reminds us that Jesus did not merely come to save his people from oppression. That's what they really wanted. They didn't want to be under another king's rule any longer. They wanted to be set free politically but Jesus didn't just come to save his people from oppression. He came to set his people free from their sins. Think about the many promises fulfilled that we're going to sing about this morning when we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. If we got the lyrics and you want to throw some of that up here, uh, that's great. right? One of them we'll sing is, uh, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And we'll say, he ransoms captive Israel. Another one is this, Emmanuel, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, uh, he's the, he is the rod of Jesse, that's like a descendant of David, that sets, uh, f- that frees his people from Satan's tyranny. Like there is a tyrannical leader that has been uh, at work like a lion, he's come to steal and kill, to destroy, to devour us. And it's this rod of Jesse, it's Jesus born in a manger that frees his people from Satan's tyranny. Emmanuel not only does that, but he also saves us from the depths of hell. Literally gives us the gift of eternal life so that we could spend the rest of eternity with God. Emmanuel gives us victory over the grave, we sing. Emmanuel is the day spring that cheers our spirits by his advent. Like in coming, Jesus gives us joy that we couldn't have known otherwise. Emmanuel disperses the gloom and drives out the shadows of death. Y'all, there's a good amount of shadows of death around right now. But Emmanuel's the one that drives them out. And Emmanuel, we sing, is the key of David that has unlocked our path to our heavenly home. It's like we sing that Jesus Christ is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. Harvard City, this is our God. Nobody could do this but Him. He is the one, not only that makes the promises, but that fulfills them in ways that are far beyond our imagination. And that's what we sing when we sing this song, O come, O come, Emmanuel. You see, Jesus, when He was born, came to fulfill the promise of God with us. When Jesus came, he could be described as the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah seven fourteen because he was quite literally God, and he came into this world to be with us. But think with me about the past, present, and future of this idea, God with us. God with his people was like the greatest blessing on the nation of Israel throughout the whole Old Testament, right? Whether it was in the tabernacle and wherever they go, uh, God would be with them. Whether it was uh, Moses meeting up with God on a mountain. Whether it was once they built a temple, there was a holy of holies where God himself would dwell. Whether it was they were out there in the desert and there was like a, a pillar of fire that, to know that God was present with them. It was like one of the greatest blessings in the entire Old Testament. But this blessing was hindered by the rebellion against him. Then we go into the story further. And when Jesus comes on the scene, God's provided salvation from sin and has healed the broken relationship between himself and his people. Through the good news of the gospel, people like you and me can now be with a holy God. There doesn't have to be any kind of separation anymore. In Christ, we can genuinely be with him. And then before Jesus went up to heaven, in Matthew's gospel, I think this is so significant that here in Matthew's gospel, we hear this prophecy of God with us. We see Jesus as the fulfillment of it, and his very last sentence that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven in Matthew's gospel is that I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Man, it's not just past, it's not just present, it's future. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promised Emmanuel. He is God with us, and that is precisely why we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, this season. Family, our God is a promise-keeping God. Church, sometimes it can be too easy to get settled into the anticipation and expectation of Advent and think that all those hopes and dreams were fulfilled for us at the birth of Jesus. And it is true that He is a promise-keeping God. And in so many ways on that first Christmas, He fulfilled His promises. But it's not just that those promises were fulfilled on that first Christmas. It's like that was a down payment for us of God's faithfulness so that all the rest of the promises that are going to find their yes in Jesus, that are in this second coming of Jesus, that we know because he has fulfilled these promises, we can wait in hope and expectation and pining and longing and anticipation that he is indeed going to make all of the other promises yes and amen in Jesus in his second coming y'all there's a fulfillment to these promises in Jesus Emmanuel God with us but I want to talk about two this morning the power and the presence of Emmanuel think about this with me have you ever like held something in your hands and completely didn't understand the significance or the value of said thing. And usually what happens is that at some point later in your life, boop, you know, the light bulb goes off. And then you're thinking back on that moment. You're like, man, I, I literally, like, had my hands on it, or I was this close to it, and I could have reached out and touched it. I wish I would have just done that, right? Like, well, uh, recently I had uh, an interaction with my son that reminded me of just how often we are, like, completely unaware of the value of something to us, okay? We're walking home uh, from school. Like, I I love it. It's one of my favorite times of the day is getting to, like, walk to school and then walk home with my kids. It's a time that they, like, you know, like, oftentimes your kids won't tell you anything that you want them to tell you. But on the way home from school, for whatever, it just comes out, right? And so this day, (laughs) what comes out is Kobe's like, Dad, check it out. Like, today at school I got this. And he pulls out of his pocket a 20 spot. That was my my take too, right? I was like, whoa, dude, we're going to have to have a little conversation here because I don't think you're supposed to be coming home from the local school with a 20 spot. And so I just like gently like prod him to find out the story here. And the story here was uh, that there was a kid that came to school, not just both one, but multiple 20 spots. And over the course of a couple of days at school, I found out that this kid offered uh, Kobe's friend Jordan a 20 spot to be on their soccer team that day. He's like, man, I really want to be on that team. He's like Kobe and Jordan, they are like in their grade, probably the two best soccer players, and they were on the same team. And so once he saw that, he like slaps a 20 spot, down payment, Man, I want to be on the good team today, right? And uh, Jordan, knowing that his parents wouldn't be cool with him coming home with a 20 spot, gives it to Kobe, and Kobe pockets it and brings it home. <laughs> So it wasn't even Kobe, it wasn't even the captain of said team, whatever. It's not part of the illustration. Anyway, so, uh, but he's like, he comes home at his twenty spot. And so we have this conversation about it. And then the next day, like, uh, I, like, told Kobe, okay, we need to, you need to have a conversation, you need to give this money back to Dylan, like, uh, and then, sorry, I didn't mean to out the kid, Uh, but, like, anyway, you need to give the money back to him, and then, like, you need to have a conversation with your teacher, I want to make sure that this isn't, like, affecting other people, too, right, and uh, um, by then, it had happened again, like, this time, he paid 20 bucks to another kid just to play with him on the playground. And the crazy thing is, y'all, yeah, that was my take too. I was like, hey, does this kid have friends? Like, does he feel like he has to pay for them? And like, and Kobe and Jordan are like, "Nah, like we would have picked this kid first to be on our team anyway. He's good at soccer and like people like him. And so he doesn't have to pay for them to play with him. And so the crazy thing is that I could see that this young man completely did not understand the value of a $20 bill. To him, it was just another piece of paper. And if that piece of paper meant that he was insured that he was on the good team, instead of having a chance that he would be picked on the good team, well, great, let's throw it down. If that ensured that this person would say yes to play with him, instead of like a 95% chance that they would say yes to him, like he would give it to him. He didn't understand the value of what he held in his hands. You see, this year, as we think about Advent, as many of us are singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, I think because we've sung it so many times, because it started at such a young age, because those lyrics are just hidden in there and we can sing it mindlessly, we don't need to follow along up on the screen. It's already in there. I think we can become so familiar with hymns like O come, O come, Emmanuel, that we don't even realize how amazing the truths are in this song. To us, it's just become another song that we listen to or sing during the month of December. We don't understand the value of this song because it just passes from our mind out our mouths instead of really capturing it in our hearts. To us, it's just another song. So, I'd like to finish our time together speaking of the power and the presence of Emmanuel because this one word, Emmanuel, that is explained, God with us, is not just another word, it's packed with application for our lives. So, let's think about the presence. Of Emmanuel, The promise of God with us is even more than God putting on flesh and dwelling among us in that first Christmas. God with us also reminds us of the promise that God is always with us and he will never forsake us, right? I already said this, but the final sentence in Matthew's gospel was Jesus telling his disciples just before he ascended into heaven, uh, I am behold, in Matthew 28, 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, this, ma- this means that no matter the circumstances you're going through, because of your identity in Christ, you can trust that you are going through it. You're not going through it alone. God is with you. I want to tell you what this looks like for the Gaskell family this week. Okay, about to get really real in here. Uh, some of y'all don't know this, but like uh, Madeline, uh, our oldest daughter, was, um, I don't know, 30 weeks, 33 weeks uh, pregnant. My wife found out. Uh, not 33 weeks, 26 weeks pregnant, uh, my wife found out that, um, that her heart wasn't working right, this, this baby inside of her. And so uh, Maddie has uh, what's called fetal heart block. We've talked about it here before. She was born and she had to have surgery three days into her life to have a pacemaker installed. And so it helps her heart beat uh, and helps her to be the normal kid that she is. Nobody would ever know, right? Like awesome, uh, wonderful uh, kid, such a blessing to our family. And at seven years old, uh, she had to get a new battery put in, so she had to have another surgery, right? And so uh, they have to get back in there, and they had to fill that thing up with a new battery, and she's uh, you know, under the knife and stays the night and goes home and whatever. And, those, and these first two occurrences, right, like the things that I remember, the thing that I remember is that we were at a big church then, and the word would go super wide, and like, people would remind us that there were like thousands of people praying for Maddie on the daily, And even though the doctors told us that there was like less than a 25% chance that she would be born alive, like I never once went there in my heart because God was so present with us in that season. And when I look back on that season and and like can't think of like, uh, there's just like a few times in our lives that we really felt and experienced God with us in that kind of way. And then when, when she was seven years old and she got this new battery, right, like all I remember is that like a bunch of my friends came to the hospital because then you could get in. You didn't have to all these COVID protocols and stuff like that, but came to the hospital and we just walked laps and prayed like it was our job the entire morning that she was in there. Never once did I consider that anything rough would happen, you know. Like, it was just the hand of God. And, um, and it was like, I don't know, like, what, 10, 14 days ago now? Uh, Maddie has, like, a stress test and all these things that she has to do every six months on her pacemaker. And they're like, hey, you need a new one. And we're going to have to take care of that before Christmas. And I think it was just like the, I think it was like how quick it was for me. Like, not having lead time to get my, my mind wrapped around it. that She was going to be having another surgery, and this time it meant a whole new pacemaker, and it was going to have to get installed in a different way, and this time it was going to have to be intravenous instead of on the outside of her heart, and all these things, and, and y'all like... And this time I went there, and it's just like, it's not where I'm at right now, by the grace of God, but the truth is, in this season, God with us is incredibly profound. Because when Maddie steps into that hospital on Tuesday morning this week, when I step into that hospital on Tuesday morning this week, when Emily steps into that hospital on Tuesday morning this week, when Kobe and Kate have to go to school and like, have to try and focus on something else other than what's happening to their sister, God is literally, not just was with us in the person of of Jesus, born of a baby, and like, then he was a man, and he was 100% God, and he was 100% man. Not in that way, but in a whole different way. God is literally with us in Christ. We are connected to him. He is literally present with us. And that just melts away that stuff so that we can focus in on what he's doing so that Maddie can go in that day and it can just be a part of her story. She has handled it so well. I've been blown away. And there's a conversation about where her scar would be. They could do it over here or they could do it right here. She's like, well, if this one's easier, why not do it right here? It's a part of my story. People are just going to see it and they're going to know this is who I am. It's going to provide opportunity for her to like share her story and give God the glory. She's not worried about like what people think. For her, it's just a part of her story. And so even though it's not the way things are supposed to be, right? Like uh, it's a result of sin and brokenness and all those kind of things. It is her story and it's a story that God's given her and he is with her in it. God with us, his presence is incredibly profound and powerful. God with us means that we cannot believe the lies that first creeped in about God being some distant God that is allowing this to happen, but instead, the presence of Emmanuel means that this may not be the way things are supposed to be, but that God in his sovereignty has allowed this, and at the same time, he is with us in the midst of it. But God isn't just always with us. God with us also means that he will never forsake us. Check this out in the scriptures. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Church, the presence of Emmanuel also means that he will not forsake you. Our God who is with you will never turn his back on you. Did you hear the implication of this text? It says we can be content. That's a loaded word, isn't it? Because of the presence of Emmanuel. In other words, our contentment flows from our knowing, our believing, and our experience of God with us because there's nothing in this world that could bring us more joy than our God being with us and the assurance that he will never leave us or forsake us. Church, we need to slow down and ask ourselves, how would our lives be different if we were fully alive to the presence of Emmanuel? The reason I get so real with you and talk to you about that this morning is because probably each one of us has a dark place in our heart, or maybe even a location where we go uh, throughout our weeks, that when we go to those places, we are not alive to the presence of God with us. For some people, that could be the hospital. We've actually seen really cool things that God has done at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, so I'm guessing that I'm gonna be alive to that that day, but there's others uh, that when I was in some of those dark places in the last couple of weeks, that I just didn't even consider God going that with me because I was like blaming him for what I was going through. Y'all, we need to be alive. I wonder how our lives would be if we were alive, fully alive to the presence of Emmanuel, but not just to his presence, but also To his power. If we're going to talk about the presence of Emmanuel, then we better take some time to talk about the power of the one who is with us and always uh, will be there and will never leave us or forsake us. Harvest City, Emmanuel, our present, our ever present God, came to save us from our sin. So check this with me for a second. The Gospel of Matthew reminds us this morning that when Jesus grew up, he took away the barrier of guilt between us and God. He literally tore the veil that separated us from our holy God. Emmanuel was the Lamb of God came to take away the sin of the world. Emmanuel was tempted in many ways on, in his time here on earth, but was without sin. Emmanuel is also the light of the world, in whom there is no darkness at all. Emmanuel, who is God with us, was betrayed, wrongfully accused, mocked, and crucified. And Emmanuel, God with us, rose from the grave by the power of his Holy Spirit three days later to prove once and for all the power of the God who is with us. Church, I don't think most of us acknowledge the power of God that is literally with us in our daily lives. But Jesus came to empower us to do what we could not do on our own. My man, Paul Tripp, says it like this. God knew that your need was so pervasive and expansive that he didn't just forgive you. He literally unzipped you and got inside you by his spirit so that you have the power to do those things that he calls you to do. Consider this, Jesus is Emmanuel, not just because he came to earth. Jesus is Emmanuel because he made you the place where he dwells. God has dealt with your powerlessness, not just by giving you insightful commands and principles, but by literally giving you himself. If you are God's child, he lives inside of you in power and glory gracing you with what you need to obey his call scripture says it like this in romans chapter 8 verse 11 if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised christ jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you first corinthians 2 says this don't you know that you yourselves are god's temple and that god's spirit lives in you That same power that rose Jesus from the dead literally unzipped you, got inside you, and empowers you to do the very things that God is calling you to do. Our God, who is with us, is all-powerful. And this Advent, my hope is that singing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel will help each one of us be more alive to the power and the presence of God. When we're seemingly in hopeless situations, the thought in our mind should be, but God. When we find ourselves backed into a corner and we can't see a way out, Emmanuel reminds us that our God is the one that part of the Red Seas, that he can create a way out whenever he wants to. When our marriage is rough and we don't know how we'll get any better, God with us reminds us that by his strength, we can press on in love. When the enemy tells us that we just cannot do this any longer, Emmanuel reminds us that God will always empower us to do that which he calls us to do. So this morning, as we wrap up, I want to encourage you with one last truth about Advent as we think about the waiting and the longing and the anticipation of Advent, as we consider afresh the fulfillment of so many of God's promises this Christmas, my hope is that God would build up our confidence in his fulfillment of his promises. As we look back on the faithfulness of God this Advent, may we confidently anticipate the second Advent of Christ when he will return to wipe away every tear and every eye and to make all things new. This Advent, may we live with the truth of Emmanuel, God with us, in our hearts, and may that give us high, high hopes. And one of the ways that we like put that on every week. One of the ways that we taste that week by week, one of the ways that we literally experience Emmanuel, God with us is by taking communion because the body uh, and the blood of Jesus represented in the gluten-free bread and the red wine and the the white grape juice, it's called communion, not just because it's a way that we commune with one another, but it's because we tap into God with us. We commune with him. I want you to think about this. This is what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about communion. It says, Our Lord Jesus, in the night wherein he was betrayed, he instituted the sacrament of his body and blood called the Lord's Supper to be observed in his church unto the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself and his death, the sealing of all benefits thereof unto true believers, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement and into all duties which they owe to him. And here it is. This is why I wanted to read this this morning. And to be a bond of and pledge of their communion with him. When you take the body of Christ broken for you this morning, when you taste the blood of Jesus poured out for you this morning, represented in these elements, it is a bond and a pledge of God with us, of your communion with us with him and so we're going to respond to the good news of the gospel together this morning here at Harvest City the communion table is open for all who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior if you do that you're going to come up the center aisle you're going to receive the elements and you're going to head out along the outside but there's a couple other ways that I want you to respond this morning one is if, if, if you were pricked in the Holy Spirit and there was, a, there was literally a place in your heart a dark place in your heart maybe even a location uh, in your life would you just know that you're not really alive to the presence of God with you in that place, would you consider just jumping in the back and praying with somebody today, allowing them to go to that place with you and remind you in prayer of his presence with you? And then lastly, would you, uh, you know, like when we get into this next song, would you stand and sing from the bottom of your hearts, O come, oh, come, Emmanuel, in a new way, in a way that our hearts and our minds are awakened to the power and presence? of our God with us. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would do just that, that you would take something that is all too familiar to us and that you would help us to sing it uh, in a new way this morning. God, we ask that uh, whatever we're going through this week, that you would help us to be more alive to your presence in our lives, that we would recognize that you literally have unzipped us and come to live inside of us, that if we are in Christ, that you've given us the gift of your Holy Spirit, that we are temples of the living God. And that not only would that change the way that we live, recognizing you're present with us and and man, we, we need to live in a holy way because you're here with us, but that God, we would live in contentment knowing that whatever we're going through, we're going through with you because you are Emmanuel, God with us. Let that word drop in our hearts this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.